this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm anand krishnan your host for today on tuesday march 23rd the united nations human rights council adopted a resolution on promoting reconciliation accountability and human rights in sri lanka adopted after 22 member states of the 47 member council voted in its favor among the countries that supported the resolution were the united kingdom and france and those that stood with sri lanka and opposed it include pakistan china and bangladesh India was among those countries that abstained. What exactly is a UNHRC resolution? What will be its impact on Sri Lanka, the Tamil question, as well as India-Sri Lanka relations? Helping us make sense of these questions today from Colombo is Meera Srinivasan, who is the Hindu's Sri Lanka correspondent. Thank you so much, Meera, for joining us today. Thank you, Anand. It's a pleasure. To start with, uh, Meera, was the outcome really expected in Sri Lanka? For the past few weeks, there's really been intense, hectic diplomacy where Sri Lanka was going around trying to garner support. But were there expectations that it was going to be a tall task? The run-up to the uh, actual session and the vote, Anand. it seemed that uh, you know as you rightly mentioned all sides were campaigning quite hectically and uh, you know the expectation of course from the tamil side or at least some of its main political um, actors was that this somehow uh, goes through and uh, the core group at first table the resolution that is uh, canada germany north macedonia malawi montenegro and the uk i think were confident of somehow garnering support to pass the resolution right. what i think they were hoping to do is also get enough votes in its favor so that it seems like a good number of countries are proactively backing the resolution so right. um, at some level this outcome was expected but you know over the last few days there were some concerns because some countries i hear seemed undecided or were being pulled in different directions so movers of the resolution i think over the last few days were a bit concerned but eventually the outcome was what they hoped for right just if we can refresh for our listeners uh, meera you did do a podcast which i would point our listeners to and we'll share a link below looking ahead to the rights council vote and the choice before india which we put out a few days ago but just for listeners to kind of refresh their understanding of what happened the background to this so why exactly were these countries uh pushing for this resolution can you just take us through that so sri lanka civil war ended in 2009 as we all know anand and it's been uh, almost 12 years and the questions that uh started at that time in regard to accountability justice going forward with a political solution hmm. those questions still remain uh you know substantially which is i think a cause for concern for many within sri lanka as well as outside now a decade we would think is reasonable amount of time to address uh, at least some of these questions convincingly but 
the experience has been that that hasn't happened so i think there is uh, that widespread concern within the country and outside at the same time uh, we should also see the resolution in its sort of political and geopolitical context so the resolution follows the un uh, human rights chiefs uh, very strong report on sri lanka in which she warned of an alarming path of recurrence of human rights violations that were heard of at the time of the war and soon after hmm. so the resolution itself draws upon that report although you know the experience has been that no resolution really matches up to the strong language or the demands of a human rights chiefs report hmm. by the time it comes to a resolution that so many countries draft together and have to agree upon it's definitely a much less sort of uh, uh it it's not as severe it's not as demanding right. in a way so nevertheless the resolution does point to um you know key aspects of the past for example one of its uh, you know operative parts uh, is that the resolution recognizes the importance of preserving and analyzing evidence related to violations of human rights Hmm. and then it also decides to strengthen the capacity of the office of the high commissioner to collect consolidate analyze and preserve information and evidence hmm. which is important because it's seeking to uh, collect evidence through an international mechanism through the office of the high commissioner and also accommodates uh, justice mechanisms that could potentially involve international uh, you know international factors so this is what really sri lanka has taken objection to in its reactions i'm sure we'll come to that in a moment mm. but the other crucial part of the resolution is that it not only speaks about war crimes and you know uh, concerns relating to the war and immediate post war scenario but also highlights several contemporary issues for example it uh, specifically points to trends emerging over the past year which mm. it says represent a clear early warning sign of deterioration of human rights in sri lanka it mm. uh, you know mentions accelerating militarization erosion of independence of judiciary and institutions uh, ongoing impunity and obstruction of accountability uh, then the lack of closure in terms of emblematic cases Mm. and then policies that uh, you know impact the right to freedom of religion then increasing marginalization of tamils and muslims surveillance intimidation of civil society so a whole lot of questions that pertain to here and now this moment in sri lanka which is significant and the third very significant part of the resolution if we were to look at some you know some of the most important aspects mm. is its call for devolution of political authority which is of interest particular interest to india right where mm. it says uh, sri lanka should fulfill its commitment to devolve political authority to the provincial councils and implement the 13th amendment to the constitution so these are like if i were to summarize three key aspects one is to do with the collection of evidence and using international mechanisms for evidence gathering and justice the second is the very contemporary concern about what the report calls deterioration of human rights now and in terms of going forward devolving more political authority to the provincial councils right and in terms of uh, the reaction in sri lanka uh, mira you reported that uh, the foreign minister of sri lanka pretty much said that it cannot be implemented so is this merely symbolic or actually 
are there reasons why Sri Lanka may be obligated to take at least some parts of this uh, resolution seriously? Sure. So Sri Lanka's uh, reaction has been very interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. so far only the foreign minister has spoken. We haven't heard the president or the prime minister comment on the development. The foreign minister chose to give a novel interpretation to the uh, outcome of the resolution. Mm. He added the abstentions and the negative votes, which is uh, um, 14 plus 11, and said, we got 25. Mm -hmm. When only 22 countries voted in favor of the resolution that has actually been passed. Mm. So it's almost like Sri Lanka chose to read the outcome in a way that was palatable to itself. Mm. And then... Uh, the foreign minister also particularly references this evidence gathering mechanism, which I earlier mentioned is not something that Sri Lanka has warmed up to. Hmm. So uh, he references that and says they've budgeted an estimated 2.8 million to set up this mechanism to gather evidence, right? And hmm. he says that money is better spent building houses for the war affected. Why do you want to come and collect evidence? And then he says no resolution can be really implemented without the consent of the country in question. Hmm. So this is very clear sort of expression of hostility, of, uh, of uh, resistance to what Sri Lanka sees as political bullying, targeting, a very political motivated resolution. So this is Sri Lanka's position. And with regard to a UN uh, resolution, there's nothing that really legally binds Sri Lanka in a sense, right? This is, you can't... Uh, uh, sort of expect Sri Lanka to do it in order to meet some sort of international legal requirement. What it really means is that so many countries are part of it and have a certain expectation. A majority of them has a certain expectation of Sri Lanka. Hmm. And Sri Lanka is, you know, sort of still in the international system. They haven't really signed out of the entire UN mechanism or hmm. international engagement altogether. They are only objecting this specific resolution. So as an actor in the international arena, what this means is the more serious question, though the council itself has no mandate to impose uh, economic sanctions or, you know, that kind of serious measure. The mm. member countries may be sort of uh, influenced by the resolution and Sri Lanka's response to it when they craft their individual uh, foreign policy with Sri Lanka going forward. So in that, it has implications for Sri Lanka and one of the things that an opposition MP said, I mean, the opposition leader hasn't commented as far as I know, hmm. but uh, one of the opposition voices said that Sri Lanka is painting itself into a corner. It's isolating hmm. itself from the international arena. And how do we hope to go forward in a pandemic situation in terms of development, our financial obligations, economic uh, concerns? So that's really the implication for Sri Lanka. What it means to Sri Lanka and its relationship with the entire world. Oh. Right. And as you said, uh, even if the foreign minister claimed 25 were uh, supporting Sri Lanka, actually it was 22 who voted in favor of the resolution, 11 against it, 14 abstained. So an abstention really, is, it's a bit of a stretch to say an abstention was a vote against. Uh, coming to those that abstained, Mira, India was one of them. Uh, was it always going to be the case that India would abstain uh, given that in the lead up to it, it was facing calls on the one hand from the Sri Lankan government, on the other hand uh, from the Tamil National Alliance. And you also had the situation where you had some political figures in Tamil Nadu who had uh, spoken out in the lead up to the vote, of course, this being election season in Tamil Nadu. So how did all of those three different factors come into play? So 
I'll go back a little announce to the run up to the resolution sure. itself. And at that time, you know, what was sort of expected was that China and Russia will certainly back Sri Lanka. China had said this right. even at the interactive dialogue hmm. had declared support to Sri Lanka. Pakistan was a bit uncertain in the sense that because Pakistan had raised concern over the you know forced uh, cremations issue earlier Correct. and uh, prime minister imran khan uh, reportedly took that up when he visited colombo and then pakistan's high commissioner here also highlighted uh, uh, a cabinet minister's uh, proposal to have the burqa banned mm. so uh, pakistan was getting more vocal and weighing in on these policies that would impact uh, muslims of sri lanka so some people here were a bit unsure how pakistan might actually vote but mm. uh, traditionally they have supported sri lanka and uh, in that many were confident that uh, pakistan would continue to do so in terms of india i think it was widely expected that they would abstain but mm-hmm. one couldn't be all that certain because of a few things that happened during the weeks before the resolution to start with sri lanka took some very strong decisions in terms of strategic projects involving india and china that india expressed displeasure over then from the time the rajapaksas came to power in 2019 there has been a constant sort of rhetoric emanating from within the establishment to abolish provincial councils a section of the establishment senior minister calling for provincial councils to be abolished so these two things would be of immediate and foremost concern to india one is this whole question of geopolitical uh, concern and the other is a very fundamental threat to provincial councils which in fact is a historic uh, uh, historic development in indo lanka relations the indo lanka accord of 1987 and uh, uh, this regardless of all the criticism there are of the provincial council system of the 13th amendment of its limitations till date that's the only piece of legislation in sri lanka that assures some measure of political devolution so when these two were threatened india was very concerned so and simultaneously bjp is also in alliance with aidmk and tamil nadu yeah. where mm. they're trying to make inroads in the assembly election so putting all this together there was you know one a uh, prediction which was that india may get decisive this time to give sri lanka a message and that it might vote in favor of the resolution also because the resolution particularly mentions 13th amendment which is sort of india's pet uh, concern or pet uh, uh, foreign policy uh, point mm. in terms of uh, uh, sri lanka mm. however i found uh, external affairs ministers jay shankar's uh, remarks in chennai some time ago at uh, uh, the india today conclave very interesting in this regard it mm. was in retrospect it seems like he was preparing for this abstention right. because he almost criticized tamil nadu for picking up sri lanka or the tamil question just on the eve of elections and forgetting the day after mm. and he said we need genuine concern by which i suppose he meant that we need concern that uh, you know is not tied only to the human rights council and has to sort of outlive the uh, session and the vote itself mm. in a way india's abstention also suggests to me that new delhi's geopolitical concerns outweigh everything else at the moment though in their statement before the vote they emphasize the need to implement the 13th amendment in full mm. and hold early elections to the provincial council so that emphasis will always remain 
that emphasis will always be central to sri lanka's engagement here some people mm. even call it a leverage but uh, if you look at the broader sort of uh, uh, you know uh, if you look at the other factors that probably determine this uh, decision i think it's really the geopolitical concern that outweighed everything else uh before we come to china finally uh mira and its importance to sri lanka uh over the last few years um uh, at the un which has really come through again uh on india sri lanka relations so is it fair to say that colombo was mindful of the various sort of considerations that delhi had uh, in its mind and in that sense uh obviously i think they've thanked india for abstaining uh, so what would be the impact going forward on india sri lanka relations uh, if at all Yes I think uh, Colombo at some level would appreciate the fact that India didn't vote for the resolution when it could have given the uh, context so in that I think Colombo recognizes that India would like to keep space open for conversation with Colombo take other projects forward mm. take other aspects of the relationship forward so on and so forth at the same time um, what's also interesting is that the chief Tamil formation the Tamil National Alliance also had a very sympathetic mm. reading of india's abstention they said you know india must have had its reasons and must have considered different factors before taking the decision but tna also mm. said it's greatly encouraged by the statement in it on the 13th amendment and provincial councils which at some level i see where that comes from because now that the geneva theater is over right the vote is over and the outcome mm. is clear looking ahead the immediate sort of uh uh development waiting to be addressed is a provincial council election though the president has said he wants it held early i think a lot of uh, uh you know actors who hope that the elections will be held also see it as a way to preserve mm. the provincial council system which is being threatened increasingly mm. so i think in that the tna appreciates india's stance uh you know mm. but um, there are other tamil activists and other tamil political groupings diaspora groups which i think are not particularly pleased with india's abstention which they see as being undecisive it's neither here nor there mm, that makes sense uh, and coming to china uh, mira throughout the war obviously it was very very clear how important china became to sri lanka uh, as a as someone who was protecting the sri lankan government at the un now that's come through again so the way you see it you've had so many changes of government in sri lanka from uh, mahinda rajapaksa's and then there was this big change everyone expected there to be a huge realignment in china sri lanka relations which never quite happened and now again you've had another change in government again is the china sri lanka relationship is it fair to say now for i mean i mean there are many many reasons uh, that drive it uh, on the financial side infrastructure side the un has it emerged as one strong driver of the china sri lanka relationship and where do you see that uh, going forward so this resolution has proved again that uh, sri lanka has reason to count on china for more than one reason right one is of course the economic mm, support right. and uh, the uh, sort of uh, uh, grants and loans especially they extend at short notice the other is of course the mm. political weight that china is throwing behind sri lanka in an international forum uh, sort of uh, accusing the west uh, dominated uh, un system as they say of being uh, you know uh, prone to double standards and so i think sri lanka is counting on china for 
all those reasons but you know some within sri lanka are also worried if this will push sri lanka too much towards china not that it you know right. that china itself is the problem in all cases but this sort of over reliance on one power is never going to be healthy for sri lanka's foreign policy according to these critics who think that this sort of proximity mm. is unhealthy at the same time mm. uh, as we speak anand the central bank of sri lanka has said that uh, the 1.5 billion currency swap with china has come through for a period of 3 years so sri lanka also seems to uh rely on china for these quick and uh, uh uh in a way like reliable sources of loan and emergency funding so where this will hmm. uh, take sri lanka over the next few years in terms of debt repayment is another question but in terms of how it perceives hmm. china and the other thing is uh unlike the west or unlike india China almost never comments on any domestic development in Sri Lanka it's able to conduct diplomatic affairs right. uh, at a very sort of bilateral level almost uh, you know silent on everything that happens within Sri Lanka and this is reciprocated mm. too because we saw the Sri Lankan foreign secretary make remarks about how there are no human rights violations within China in one of his interviews so there's this sort of mutual understanding in terms of appreciating each other's efforts towards protecting human rights and uh, uh, that's interesting i mean that's how they are uh, seeing each mm-hmm. other uh, but it has been to china's advantage that they do not comment on any domestic political or other development within sri lanka and in that the public image of china and india is very different in the southern part of sri lanka india is still seen as you know interventionist every time they comment on devolution or the tamil question but china uh, is not seen as somebody who uh, interferes with sri lanka's affairs final question amira so where does this all leave uh, the big devolution question uh, we will link uh, our readers to this very interesting interview you did a while ago with the sri lanka's foreign secretary um and can you share with us some of your takeaways from that interview where he did speak about devolution of the 13th amendment uh, and raise a lot of questions about its future sure anand actually the foreign secretary his uh, remarks uh, on the 13th amendment were very significant in fact he said mm. india should not harp on the 13th amendment which is a very telling comment uh, of how sri lanka mm. perceives india's consistent stance on that aspect of uh, bilateral ties and the tamil aspirations so at one mm. level there is an expectation that uh, the sri lankan government would not hurt india at that very fundamental level by uh, you know abolishing provincial councils because uh, the president the prime minister they're all aware of their uh, relationship with the closest neighbor and they have spoken about it time and again so there is one mm. uh, section that thinks you know provincial councils should be intact on the other hand um, given the political compulsions even for this government i mean this government uh, uh, about less than 2 years into power is faced with a mm. very severe economic crunch cost of living is very high and the early gains that made mm. on covid management are being questioned now with the vaccines and so on so when mm. criticism over the government and then its environmental policy has come under sharp attack from different sections right so when the government uh incumbency is beginning to set in when you know opposition and uh, the public are questioning the government we don't know what are the political choices that the government has in you know to appease its core constituency which is a very mm. sinhala buddhist 
uh, hardline constituency. So in that right. this threat to provincial councils is real. But the one uh, mm. sort of reassurance that there has been recently is that the president has told officials to look into expediting the holding of provincial council elections. So if that right. goes on track, we should have it uh, later this year, maybe in a few months from now. And uh, that would be significant in terms of preserving the uh, structures there are. But it remains to be seen whether they will also, um, you know, have laws passed before the election in order to weaken the provincial council system, which is what some in government are asking for. So the next few months are going to be crucial. As I said, the Geneva theater is over. Now to back to business mm. within Sri Lanka and what this means to the political questions pending here, what this means to minorities, what this means to dissidents within the majority community, uh, I think are the crucial questions to ask and keep uh, monitoring at this time. Right, and that in many ways is a real issue even beyond the UN vote. And I'm sure we'll keep coming back to you, Mira, to follow this, how it plays out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Anand. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.